Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, it's Toby Mathis with the Anderson Podcast, and uh, today I have uh, Tyler Surratt. You know, I've known you for years, uh, working <laughs> in the renewable energy side. And uh, hey, Tyler, first off, welcome. Hi, how are you, Toby? I'm doing awesome. And uh, it's good, awesome. good. You're out in Vegas, I'll tell you that. I don't know what it's yeah. like where you're at, but uh, about 95, 95 yeah. degrees. So hiding here in my car in the air conditioning <laughs> you're in colorado but but uh whereabouts uh so uh we're about two hours south of denver in the in the pueblo and and colorado springs area now uh is, by way of introduction i've been working with tyler for a long time and we send clients over to him and his group because you'll understand why in a second because he's actually a true believer tyler works in the renewable energy area what do you do for a living just day in and day out for the most part <laughs> Day in and day out uh, is is a lot of solar involvement, solar installation, and and solar sales, uh, especially in the southern Colorado area. Um, and then I do a lot of talking to your clients <laughs> about renewable energy uh, benefits and and tax savings, and then also you know what we're about to talk about here. You know the most effective and and single most effective way to affect your AGI in the conservation easement realm. Yeah. And so we'll dive into that because it's gotten a black eye over the last few years. It's been on the IRS dirty dozen list for what, the, the several years. Yeah, probably like the last two to three years. Mm-hmm. Because it's ripe for abuse. And you'll understand it uh, when we talk about this. I am going to do a quick sidetrack, Tyler, because could you explain, explain why people might put solar on a property they own or even investment properties, things like that? Just two minutes on why they might do that. Sure. I mean, plain and simple for financial reasons, you know, like uh, aside from the benefits of being green and contributing back to the grid and, and, and knowing that uh, a perpetual power bill can now become cost controlled by, by you know, your solar investment, you know, really financially and tax strategy wise, it offers a 26% tax credit that usually filters up to you individually. And, you know, those system sizes are not cheap, you know average system size that we're doing right now is probably $30,000. So, you know, 26% of that's getting pretty close to the nine, $10,000 range, which is pretty effective for a, a taxpayer that's probably in a, let's say a two income home, like, you know, three to $500,000, you know, $10,000 goes a long way towards, towards those taxes on a, cor- on a corporate side of things. Oh, yeah. let's go ahead interrupt you, but I just want to emphasize the point because it's tax credit, not a deduction. This is dollar for dollar comes off your tax. Yep. Yep. It's also a non-refundable credit. And it's something that uh, has been around for quite some time. It's dwindled down to the 26%. It's supposed to dwindle down again to 22%. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always kicking around and kicking the tires, the, the uh, you know, financial committees of bringing it back up to the 30%, which I I believe that will probably be the case in 2023 is that'll go back up. So uh, we'll see how that, that plays out. But, you know, um, on the business side of things, it is an accelerated depreciable asset. So if you put it on a commercial building or uh, any entity that 
as yep. part of a business, all right, a rental property or something like that, you got to take advantage of that depreciation. So now you're bringing your income down by uh, the accelerated depreciation, and then you still have the tax credit come into play. Yeah. And do most people finance these? I mean, because I'll, I'll explain the economics of it real simple. Most <laughs> well, on, people- a, on a residential level, yes, most people finance things. It's a very, you know, like not a whole lot of people have $35,000 laying around. But, you know, ultimately that's an exchange for a power bill and you're paying a finance payment. How much, uh, how much are they paying down typically? Um, zero. Like that's the beauty of solar financing right now is, is a zero down type investment for you. So really you're swapping one bill for the other. And you're getting a $10,000 tax credit on something. $10,000 tax credit. And like I said, eventually, you know, System sizing and things like that are usually about 110 to 120% of your power use. And so when you contribute that much to the grid, your power company gives you credit for that. So let's say you pay your financing off in 10 years, you no longer have a power bill, you know, but solar financing can range anywhere from five to 25 years right now. Fantastic. And then if you're, if you're a landlord, not only do you get the tax credit, but then you also get to depreciate it. There is a small modification to your basis when you depreciate. And that's one half of the tax credit you took. So if you took a 26% tax credit, reduce your basis by 13%. percent It ends up being a what we've seen the clients that do it come out pretty happy. Now, that's not what we're talking about today. I just wanted to talk about that so that <laughs> who you were. Because I'm always like, right. Tyler Surratt is somebody who this is... The ocean in which he swims is the renewable energy area and the conservation area. So when I first met you, I think you'd come out of a law firm where you're doing conservations and you're working on yeah. conservation easement. Oh, oh, CPA firm. Yeah. Yep. So I remember having that conversation. So I'm looking at this guy that's in renewable energies and I'm like, I don't really like most of the conservation easements I see because they feel snaky. They feel like they're not actually doing something. People are investing solely for the, the tax implications, which I don't begrudge people. What I begrudge is promoters who are not doing it for the right reason, like literally right. setting up saying, hey, let's create a tax deduction. And they're usually too aggressive. So yeah. I like you because this is the water in which you swim. And then you're a true believer. I, like, I'm not going to say tree hugger, but I probably <laughs> just a couple. I've hugged, I've hugged a few trees, but we don't need to I, go I, there. I, 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 I like <laughs> unless they're too big. Uh, no. So. In a nutshell, can you explain, because some people haven't heard you before, what a conservation easement is, and then really why somebody would even be looking at it. And we will dive into the bad stuff, too, about how the IRS mm-hmm. lacks some of them, because there's some very right. promoters out there and why this is different. Right. So uh, a conservation easement, plain and simple, was a way for the U.S. government to incentivize a private conservation effort. I don't think they can totally and and single-handedly conserve every piece of land that we sh- think should be conserved. And so uh, what they did is they created a program that would offer a tax deduction, a charitable donation uh, for the place of a, a conservation or an easement on a piece of property. And so that conservation can be either through private uh, efforts of your own land and creating that easement and take advantage of that. Or, you know, most popular and probably the one that we're talking about here today is a a real estate investment that you invest in that vehicle tool that turns into a conservation easement 
to where your benefit is the tax deduction. So, so let's break this down. So what is an easement exactly and who gets it? <laughs> well, uh, I don't think I could spit out the technical definition of the easement, but the easement pretty much means that you're placing boundaries on a property to where development cannot happen. Typically, what you see is utility easements or uh, government easements for sidewalks and, and things. You don't own all of your property, but you might own the back half and the government owns the front half because they have every right to put a utility inside of there. You could still um, own it. They just have a right across. It's like having they have a right. somebody needs yep. to drive across your land to get to their land. Yep. Like yep. You have a lot in front, you have a lot in back. But on the conservation easy area, and I'll just make it simple so people can understand it. I might have a beautiful pasture and it, ha- and it has a ton of minerals underneath it and it could be developed and made into a bunch of houses. So those rights I could give to somebody else, a conservation company like a Ducks Unlimited or there's probably a mm-hmm. million of them, but I could give, hey, the development rights I'm going to give to you and it's going to devalue my land. I'm going to give to right. this group the mineral rights because I know that they'll never actually dig on my land to take away the mineral rights. They're a 501c3 that's in the conservation realm. And so you might say, you know what? I never want anybody to dig the granite out from underneath my field or the oil or the gold or whatever, fill in the blank. Or or just plain out development. Like, you know, so it's a piece of farmland that significant development's happening around you. Like you want to conserve that. You want to provide green space to, to the real estate that's happening around you. Yeah. And uh, I remember the, the project you did in Vail. It wasn't you, but uh, was it Blue Water? Blue Water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blue Water Group. They they had, they had were developing three big parcels, right? And they decided to conserve one of them. Right. So yep. here's beautiful land. You, you could just develop this whole stretch. And the developer says, you know what? We're going to take a chunk of it. And we're going to raise money so that uh, we're, we can conserve it. Right. How does that work from a tax standpoint? Like, why would somebody go into one of those deals where you're, you're, you're essentially partnering in a deal to buy land that then you're going to devalue considerably. Okay? <laughs> uh, I think uh, you know, you're exactly right. You're looking at a piece of land that has some sort of value, like some sort of developable value, and you can quantify that developable value. And so, uh, you know, a, um, a group or a creator of a conservation uh, begins the process of of supporting those values and 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 creating the conservation itself, and then you as an investor are, are approached or or you're looking for this type of strategy to where now your investment is essentially the developed cost, and the government is giving the marketable developed value as a deduction. So after development, uh, you, after after development, so. So really, it's just like any other type of real estate vehicle, like you're giving money and and there's a multiple, I wouldn't say insured, but there's a multiple that comes with that that investment. So if that investment really turned into a real estate development, you're getting 25% of of your money back. You're getting some sort of multiple four to five times the money that you invested back as, as income. So flop that. And now your investment uh, now turns into a deduction. So now you're getting four to five times of your investment uh, as a deduction. And, and the benefit of that is 
let's just say that's a standard, let's say, you know, four to five times is the standard of, of the deduction that you get as a multiple. Uh, the benefit to that to you is cash out of pocket. So now you're taking a deduction for four to five times your money, put some money to it, let's say $100,000. And we're going to, you know, we're going to quantify it and we're going to get $500,000 as a, as a deduction. So, so your cash out of pocket is, is a hundred thousand dollars, but you're deducting from your gross income, $500,000. And And if it's somebody that makes $300,000 a year, you're not going to get to take all that. You're going to be carrying some, you're going to be taking that portion. Strategy is most effective at the $500,000 level and above. Rich people. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I guess we can quantify them as rich people, but you know, people that make significant amount of income in any given year, it's a, it's a, it's a significant transaction. You know, it's it's a hundred thousand dollar investment for a five hundred thousand dollar deduction. If you make a million dollars, then you can deduct that five hundred thousand dollars from your income. Now you're only paying tax on five hundred thousand dollars. So, what's the limit on your adjusted gross income that you can offset with it, a? Company? It, it's a charitable contribution limit of 50%. So your adjusted gross income, that means after your yep. your adjustments, which are the you know the IRA contributions, and probably some 401ks, things like that. So right. your adjusted gross income, your AGI, you can knock that puppy in half with, uh, with the conservation easement if you put enough in it. Yep, exactly yeah. right. So right. that takes, and your benefit to this is, you know, that tax on that half of income that you deducted probably was in a higher tax bracket, like a, a 27, 35, 32% bracket. Sometimes with state taxes, now you're looking at 40% and above, you know, I even see income tax brackets like in the 50% level. So somebody that's deducting that $500,000 instead of paying, let's just say 30% tax on it, you yeah. only paid 20%. Maryland, Connecticut, New York, California, those folks, and I'll just give you like, for example, uh, I'm looking at the the tax sheet for, let's say married filing jointly for uh, somebody who's making, let's say they're between 178,000 and 300,000, 340,000. They're being taxed federally at 24%. That person, if they put a dollar into a conservation easement and they got a, let's say a $4 deduction, I'm going to be a little more conservative than you just to give <laughs> there's IRS agents. I don't want them to roll their, like there's people that go 15 <laughs> times. Right. But yeah, no, that's, I mean, four yeah, times. No. Let's, just, let's just say that's, I see yeah. four and five typically, but let's just say for $4 deduction, that $4 deduction is going to come out of their 24%. So they're, they spent, what did I say? hundred grand. So they put a hundred grand and they put a dollar in. We'll just say that they put a dollar right. and they saved just under a dollar. So in that case, mm-hmm. you're you're break even. Hey, right. I, I put some money in, and I but I, you know, and I and I did something good for society. Right. There's those people, and then there's the California who's making holy crap. You know, like they're they're over six hundred grand. They're yep. in the thirty seven percent. It's actually technically six forty seven. So let's just say they're in the thirty seven percent plus thirteen percent state. They're in the fifty percent. They put a dollar in, and it's a four dollar. It's four for you know. It's four times then they could be looking at saving $2. So they paid a dollar, they saved two, so they're netting a dollar. Twice so effective at that higher income level. Like, uh, you know, and you're talking about a typical investor, 
which is just over $500,000 where, you know, it starts to make sense. Like you said, like you're investing a dollar, but you're getting $2 worth of a benefit, uh, you know, tax wise. Yep. And, th- and this isn't pretend donation. Like you can't have a re- reversionary, yep. right? You're giving this away internally. Uh, the, the people that get in trouble, we'll talk about the people that get in trouble here in a second. The people that get in trouble. My favorite topic. Oh, <laughs> they are... You see some of the crap that they pull, but they're doing uh-huh. no appraisals or crappy appraisals, or they have a reversionary right. Like they're not really giving stuff up. Right. The people that do it right. And believe it or not, like I, I always mention uh, President Trump or, you know, previous, I don't know what you call him, former President Trump. I still think you call him President Trump, but Trump right. uh, did it with Mar a Lago and a bunch of his other golf courses. He'd give away the development rights. So nobody's going to take that course and build a bunch of houses on it. So, right. It's good for security for those people around. It makes it more attractive for those people that are investing around it because you know there's going to be a golf course there. I live two miles away from Badlands Golf Course where they did the opposite. Now they're developing and they took it. It was in downtown Summerlin. Snoop Dogg lived right next door and all these famous people. <laughs> and uh, boom, it's, it's just dead grass now. And they're going to build houses in these people's backyards. It's like, yeah. So there is a value to society, not just to golf, but I'm just yeah. saying there's open space. There's these big open green spaces. Now you look like right. you came off the golf course. I see your clip, and so there's. I always got one of these. You never know when you got to mark a ball. <laughs> <laughs> you got to mark my ball here on the side. Let me mark that, sir. <laughs> anyway, I want to I want to bring this and throw this into your lap. But there are people that are doing really really good things with conservation easements. I don't think yeah. that government's p- ticked off about. Who is nope. the government pissed off about? And then. How do you deal with it? Yeah. So I would say when, when you look at a conservation, you got to look at something, when, you know, if, if this becomes a strategy for you, you have to look at the property as if it's Central Park to New York, you know, does this conservation have developable value? And, 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 and lately I've been talking a lot about a, a matching principle. Like, is that developable value soon? Like, you know, there's conservation and, and, and then there's conservation in an area that has high development, um, could very much well turn into a real estate development and, and provide the returns that you have. But most importantly, you know what Central Park's worth in property because it's surrounded by comparable properties. Okay. Yep. So, so that's kind of how uh, these are the people that the IRS is not ticked off at is the people that are conserving in these types of areas what central comes, park is to new york doesn't it come down to your appraiser because if you're using a reputable appraiser somebody who's licensed to actually yeah. I, mean, I think it really does come down to the matching principle like and 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 like you said the appraisal like you know and what and what they found abusers okay and they found a lot of bad actors and and what they found is a matching principle didn't really exist they're conserving property that Maybe if a highway was built in 2025, then, then we would have an ecosystem that then surrounded this property that would make it, yes, it might have mineral rights. Yes, it might have some sort of value, but it's not as high as, as what you're saying that value is. Like it's not $1,000 an acre, it's, it's $100 an acre. Think 2007 or 2006, right before the real estate crash, where they're walking in and saying, this house is worth $600,000. You know, you got, you got, you have an appraiser say there's worth six hundred. There's no comps anywhere. Okay. Right? They're just plucking a number out of their katush, and it's not even out of their katush. It's because the bank said six hundred thousand, right? Right. So, 
people are still doing that in the conservation easement realm too. They go to their appraiser and say, you know, we need this valuation. We need this. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the bad ones. And thank God they're getting blown out. Right. Because the principle is sound. We need to conserve areas. We don't want to develop everything unless you like concrete jungles. Right. Right. And the government's not going to step in and say, oh, well, like let's take it or let's place an easement on this land and, and take it from somebody like unless they previously own the land, they don't have the funds to go buy two, three million dollars worth of property that should be developed at any given time. Because that's that's so, their option. The government has oh, the yeah. conserving it themselves, the Bureau of Land Management holding on and dripping it out. Or, or, but if they take it from you, then it's a government taking and that you have a right to be compensated. Right. right. And they, they just don't have the means to go out there. So they're incentivizing, no, they don't. Nope. Yeah, they're incentivizing private citizens like us to say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'll give you a little tax break if you do that willingly and give it to a qualified 501c3. <laughs> have you seen anybody doing shenanigans where they don't really give it to a 501c3 and they're playing games? Uh, or like a land trust or something like that. I, I just recently read an article in the Wall Street Journal that talks about the a bad investor and, and, and bad uh, conservation investments. And it's really just about making, you know, the producer's wallets fat. And so I wouldn't say I don't, I haven't seen anybody not give it uh, away properly, but they have misvalued it uh, significantly to, and, and and they don't mind spending the money fighting the IRS and trying to justify their deductions. Mm-hmm. So like uh, that, those are the bad actors. And I have seen every bit of, of what the IRS has quantified over the years as, as a bad conservation and why they put out like the, it on the dirty dozen list and why, you know, um, so much negative press. We're not talking about a $4 deduction at an individual level. We're talking about a piece of property that produces uh, $50 million worth of deductions, you know, uh, through 10 or $15 million worth of investments. So that's why this is so significant to the IRS is because they're exempting $50 million worth of, of income, but you know, not, not to the IRS's detriment or, or anybody else, but that's what they offer and done right, you know, through, through proper means and, and matching and, and making sure that there's comparables around that support the values. Like that's a valid deduction. It's not a loophole. It's a valid deduction. It's a valid, you know, IRS created deduction. But unfortunately, there's just been a lot of abuse. Yeah, change the law if you're not happy with it, but don't punish people <laughs> that are using it, right? If you well, it, it has a it has, you got to. <laughs> yeah. There's well, there's a legitimate use. And there's right. people that are misusing it. And it's good that they're going out and calling them out. Now, if you're somebody who's investing in one of these, because I'm sure they have a heart attack if they read the New York Times article like all conservation easements are evil or something. Right. You know, yep. what, what do you do with those folks? What do you tell them? Usually when I'm, when I meet somebody, I ask them what they know about conservation easements. Have they done any of the negative side of research? And unfortunately it's a product, you know, we use this phrase quite a lot and I'll probably use it on previous podcasts. You know, maybe next time I'll wear a shirt, you bet on the jockey, not the horse, you know, you're betting on the producer, uh, to, to create, uh, the, that vehicle of investment for you. You know, it's not something that, 
you go out and do yourself uh, very rarely, you know, it might be uh, agricultural technique and stuff like that, but very rarely do you go out and do this to yourself. So I always ask people like, what do you know? You know, and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk to them pretty plainly of, of why it exists. Like, and, and most people get the fact that there's bad actors, like there's bad actors and everything and everybody wants to take the loophole advantage. And, and, and when you explain that you have to look at this, you have to, number one, you have to look at this as a real estate investment. Like some, you know, it has to have some financial benefit income wise before it could ever be a valid conservation. And so first and foremost, I say you as an investor need to look at this. Would you invest in this if it was income-based? Yeah. You know, do you believe in this as it's income-based? Because all things aside, we all love the green property and we all love the benefits of, of of having the green property around us. And we love the green efforts. Like, like you said, like, I don't think I'm a really true tree hugger, but I do believe in, in the fact that like, you know, development does override in, in a lot of areas. And, just, and then people just, are like, I just call you that Tyler. I just, like you're one of the few people yeah. that I know. Well, well I energy contest to a financial point, like, you know, like, people invest in these, you know, knowing that they're getting a tax deduction, but also having the satisfaction of, of conserving a piece of property. You know, like we all live in those areas. Like you said, like now they're building houses on a golf course or you know, everybody's looking for a piece of land to either go up or spread out. Yep. And, and, and if that gets taken up, then, then communities wonder why they don't have trails to the river or why only the rich people get access to the river through the, or, you know, through the properties and they can't access the beauties of America because, you know, nobody's placed uh, a green space or a incentive of green space around that. That's it. Especially in, you know, things like Austin, Seattle, Portland, even Las Vegas, Miami, Tampa Bay, New York. Like you start looking at these cities that have just populations are crazy. Some right. cities have had just massive growth if you don't incentivize this now, it's going to be too late later. Like the government did um, come up and just take your house and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to put a, uh, <laughs> uh, a walking trail on your property. I'm just going to take it away. No, they don't do yep. stuff like that. You need to like, that's why you're doing a developers doing it. Who's saying, Hey, I'm developing this community, that community in this particular spot, we are going to conserve. Yep. And usually it has some sort of conservation benefit, like, you know, watershed access or, you know, I, th I say very rarely you get into the animals that, you know, like the spotted owl or something like that. You don't see a whole lot of that. It, it really is like, you know, a, a property, if it's, if it's not conserved and we've eaten up every bit of green space and, and, and you mentioned all of those big cities. And what's funny about that is, is now that COVID's happened and, and a whole lot of people don't have to work from uh, an office anymore, they're spreading out. And so development in, you know, let's say our community, two hours south of Denver, like, you know, we're 2,500 homes behind expectations for people that don't want to live in the city anymore or, you know, go up the, the Vale Breckenridge kind of corridor. And, and people want to, they, people want an outdoor life now. They, they've gotten a taste of, of freedom and they, they're figuring out how to do stuff from home. And, and that work-life balance is really coming into play, but it's really coming into a play with where your permanent home is. And so now there's all these places that have never been touched before that are being touched with like new houses, new development, new, new everything. And they're being 
overdeveloped. And so these are these are some of the places where developers are looking now and saying, this is this is where our niche is. This is where we can conserve the most and, and do the most for, for a place like Vail. And you better do it now because if you don't do it now, you know, like it's going to have 160 houses on it and, you know, they're going to be three to $400,000 homes or $500,000 homes. And, and now, you know, we have space issues and, and, and zero access to the river. Yep. And that's it. I mean, people that abuse the, the conservation easements are the ones that have zero regard for anything that we just mentioned. Right. They draw, they're just trying to find a piece of property that they could somehow justify some ridiculous, ridiculous valuation. That's cheap. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're yep. not really doing anything for society. And those people can burn as far as I'm concerned. What are you doing now? Like, do you have any open conservation? We do. Um, you know, some of the groups that I know of uh, have conservations in the Western United States area to where, you know, it's starting to become a thing for people to want to branch out. Uh, everybody wants to live in Montana or, you know, in, in, and have three baby cows. I think that's how that TikTok goes or something. Uh, you know, they, I'm they okay with Vegas. Tyler. Tyler, I'm okay with Vegas, even though it's 150 <laughs> degrees today. It's like, yeah, everybody, you know, everybody wants some sort of land and, and things like that. So, uh, uh, I do know of a few developers right now or producers of conservations with open, open deals. Um, and they're coming sooner and sooner because it's been a popular, I don't want to say a popular strategy, but it's an effective strategy and, and investors who do it and understand it, it, it's a, and you always make a million dollars. It's very effective for people in the W2 realm, your lawyers, your doctors, your um, high income earners, your salespeople that they can't do anything with their income. So they just end up paying tax because they don't have any other strategy. You know, you're talking a charitable deduction that reduces your W2 still allows you to report a a million dollars worth of income and look rich to, you know, the bank or, or wherever you need to report your taxes, but, but now you, you got a $500,000 deduction on the back end. So, um, you know, Huge. I have a lot of, re- and, and so those investors habitually come back. And so producers, you know, have, have found pieces of land and they're offering them earlier and earlier. Used to, used to be, this is a late fourth quarter decision. And I, I, it's just not a late fourth quarter decision anymore. Some of these deals will close up before the end of third quarter. We got to do it. Now, I think I, one of the things with this big run-up and, you know, people can predict the, you know, bubbles are going to burst and all this stuff. Right. No, it's not. There's, 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 like you just said, there's, you're, you're 2,500 properties behind. We're, as a country, we're about 3 million properties behind and they're stopping building because interest rates are too high. Like, right. we are way underbuilt. So supply and demand pretty much dictates your prices. Your affordability gets dictated a little bit by the... Yep the cost of the uh, interest rates, but heck no, right? Bubble burst. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like it's a seven, seven, seven. It might be cruising and we might be at 30,000 feet for a long time. It may not be going up as fast, but it's not diving back down towards the earth. Well, uh, you know, and a lot of the, the bubble bursting in the past that had to do with, like you said, like appraisers that spit over, you know, like this house is $600,000 and somebody that makes $50,000 now qualifies for that because, we've yeah. overbuilt or, you know, um, we're, we're trying to do all that. None of that really exists anymore. So it was shenanigans yeah. this time. Yeah. Shenanigans was the fed dumping in an extra $7 trillion into the economy <laughs> out of thin air. That's your shenanigans right there. Yeah. So, um, 
And I was going to mention too, like when you asked me about producers and looking at producers, like good producers, they'll provide you an ample set of real estate documents. Like they will provide you a deck of documents explaining comparables, explaining the areas. You might be in California investing in a property in Colorado and you know nothing about that market. Like they're going to give you market research. They're going to and they, and they're not going to develop 100% of the properties are uh, of the property they're going to offer you an exit strategy too you know they're going to develop or they're going to conserve 90% of it and and leave 10% open for a developer to come in and maybe now they're going to build instead of building 100 houses they're building 10 houses that mm-hmm. now have green space behind it but you know like you're exited now from that land partnership because a developer has now come in and, and purchased that uh, at a devalue to your investment. And there's some sort of minuscule return to you as, a, as an investor, but your benefit came, like you said, from not you paying 37% taxes. Yeah. You paid 20% on, on the funds that you earned and deducted. Yeah. You're not getting back. Yeah. I put $100,000 in. I'm going to, I'm not seeing that 100,000 back. Maybe you're going to see 12 of it. Your yeah, benefit maybe. is, is in the tax deduction. And the government's right. giving you an incentive, and therefore yeah, your benefit is you you paid thirty seven or uh, you paid a hundred thousand out of your pocket instead of three hundred seventy thousand dollars out of your pocket. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that'd be really that'd be extreme, but yeah, but I know what you're it's saying. Not, yeah, it's a, it's it's people, a, people yep. popping that high. I could yep. see it. I, I guess if you were doing yeah, if you were people again, if you were up in the uh, California and you're over six hundred thousand, you're in the million dollar range. Then those folks, that's probably going to be the economics of it. Absolutely. So doctors in those are, California, those, those are pretty real numbers that I just spit to you on because your your investment went so far. It went to five hundred thousand dollars worth of a deduction that you know you've already reached those upper echelon tax brackets. So now that five hundred thousand dollars was taxed or should have been taxed at that that level. Let's move off of that. Now we know what a conservation easement is. Hopefully it's taking the fear out of it. The next question, and I know that you are not a conservation easement, like you don't create them, but you've helped my clients over the years. And I can't remember how long ago we've been, we've been talking a lot of years. (laughs) A lot of years. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just kind of like, I don't even remember when. Yeah, I know. Every time I think, oh, I've known Tyler, but I haven't. I didn't really pull up and see like, hey, when we're I getting the uppers, you know. And, you know, this is how it often. I think works. we're above five and in between ten. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I met yeah. you through a client who said this yeah. guy is the true deal because I would just wouldn't refer to anybody, and I still only refer to you. So, like, I, I we keep it really simple here at Anderson. It's like, yeah, we don't know yet. Chances are, we're not. Like, if you're a conservation easement company, like, it would take me a long time before I'd ever be. I probably would never deal with you. I would just say, hey, Tyler, here. <laughs> I would say, Tyler, <laughs> you deal with these people because you understand it. You've grown up in it. Like, you, again, you worked with the firm that actually did the conservation easements. You actually do this field. Can you still help people find projects? Yes. How- can, I, I can certainly fel- help them find them and understand where a good producer is. I've also uh, looked at some of the deals that, you know, that habitual people have been investing in over the years. And they're like, hey, these people hit me up again. You know, would you mind reviewing the deal? Even though, you know, I don't know too much about the producer. Or maybe I've heard their name or something like that. But I've done that before too, and and, and tried to direct them or yeah, or just you know give them. Yeah, you're gonna get a nice little benefit there, but you know, here here's what I see. It's it's not a property that's going to be developed in the next five to ten years. 
you know, it's not something that, yeah, like really can hold, hold the values that they're stating. So, you know, you might want to rethink it, but you know, each, each investor makes their own decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just here for knowledge. Um, you know, usually it's about hour long conversation and, and, you know, just understanding, uh, how conservations work. And then, you know, you're, I always give people my personal cell phone and, and, have continued conversations or, or like you said, like if they have concerns and they know it's a good strategy for them. Like I had a guy last year, I think he made over $26 million and he couldn't wrap his head around it. Couldn't wrap his head around the investment that he had to make to save taxes on $13 million and couldn't wrap his head around it. So, you know, he didn't do it. And, and, you know, that's, that's where you're at. Like, unless you can wrap your head around it, unless you're, you know, um, have good people around you. Like, uh, you know, your people have been really good, uh, on advising a client of, of, Hey, like, why don't you try this? Like your W2 is just so high or, or something like that. Like, it's not something that you just flirt with. It's something that's a real business strategic decision because it does have a lot of financial benefits, but it comes with some risk too. And, and, and not done right. You could open up a door to significant risk, you know, five, 10 years down the road, you could still be dealing with 2022 taxes, which is not the idea of this. Perfect. Well, how do they get a hold of you? Usually I have an email address. <laughs> T-S-U-R-A-T T-S-U-R-A-T at one treeadvisors.com. And, and one is O-N-E. So, and, and the tree has nothing to do with tree hugging. It's I know a, we're, we're hitting this. You're such a tree hugger. <laughs> At this point, that's what I'm going to say. Tyler hugs trees. No, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that we get it out there so people can reach out yeah. to you. I mean, I love, I love talking about it. I love giving people advice about it. Like you said, like I'm a believer of the strategy. There's not a whole lot of positive energy going out towards conservation easements. Even some CPAs, no offense, like or uh, CPA firms or tax providers. They're, they're very wary of the strategy and keep in mind, you know, they're wary for certain reasons and, and they see it a little bit different, but I've seen the benefits, you know, I've seen the benefits in my uh, investors. I've seen the benefits in, in some of your clients. And and I think once you can wrap your head around it and see what it can do for you and putting money in your pocket, it's a very viable strategy um, at the income levels that, you know, we previous, previously stated. Perfect. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and, uh, I couldn't ask for a better interview on conservation easements. I think you were very measured and that you did a really great job. So I appreciate you doing yeah, it. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I love coming on and, and, and talking about it, and, you know, just training people. So I appreciate you having me and, and, and also promoting the strategy because, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that look at that risk and say, well, you know, done right. This could be a very viable strategy for you. So, you know, it, kudos to you and your company for, for looking at it that way. It's in the law for a reason, guys. Congress made it and there's an incentive yep. there. And if you do it right, it's legit. If you do it and you're working with these people that, that there's no basis in reality and there's not a benefit that's being conferred to a nonprofit, then I'd run, right? I wouldn't do yep. it. So I, yep. I believe, yeah, I, I actually believe in you guys and you in particular, because you've always been fair to our folks and you've always like you can tell people that are actually interested in doing things for society. And then there's people that don't, that are just there for right. the dollars and cents. So you say you're not I a tree hugger, but you're, <laughs> you say you're not a tree hugger, but in my book, you are, you are firmly in the world of solar and conservation and doing some things that will help make the world more sustainable. 
So okay. uh, anything that we can do, there's tax incentives built into a lot of things. Everything from we started with solar and we ended with conservation easements. There's tax incentives for these things because there's a benefit to society. So I just appreciate you doing that. Well, appreciate thanks, it. I appreciate it. Thanks, Toby. Always great talking to you. You got it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 